Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Sherry, and I'm here with Mark Barnes. And on the phone, we have the Miranda Police Chief. Chief Nunez, how are you doing? Good morning, Sherry. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. We're going to do our Above and Beyond the Badge segment, and I understand that you have a couple of officers that are pretty remarkable. I do. Actually, they're all remarkable, but uh, I only have time in this session to talk about these two. Okay, let's let's hear what they did. Okay, well, I think before we do that, what I'd like to say is that, you know, here in Marana, we've cultivated a public servant mindset, a mindset that provides unparalleled service, you know, unwavering protection, and doing all of this um, with uncompromised integrity. And, uh, you know, it starts with really hiring the right people with the right attitude and the right character, and then we teach them the rest. So as I said, I had a hard time uh, choosing who I wanted to brag about because I have some amazing employees. I got great dispatch people, people in records, uh, crime scene, our analysts, all fantastic people. But I chose this person based on a citizen's uh, letter, and I'd like to read it for you if I may. Absolutely. Let's hear it. Okay. So the letter starts off with, on the morning of April 24th, 2021, I experienced a total engine failure of my Cessna. And I parked it in a field of creosote bushes. I like the way he said that. I parked it in a field of creosote <laughs> bushes. <laughs> a mile east of Marana Regional. My passenger and I were not injured. I called 911, and among the responders were Officer Jenkins and Officer Boat. I am a retired Tucson police sergeant, uh, mostly patrol, and I know a thing or two about how officers are supposed to handle situations. Frankly, I'm not used to the level of service these two officers provided to us. They put me in touch with the NTSB and the FAA. They allowed my passenger and I to use the air conditioning in one of their cars for most of the five hours we were on scene, as well as keeping us supplied with water and Gatorade. They also arranged for a tow company to return the airplane to its hangar and provided an escort for the oversized load on Abra Valley Road. These two guys really turned a bad situation into a not-too-bad situation with their courtesy, professionalism, and knowledge. This was my first plane crash, but not theirs, and their efforts are greatly appreciated by my passenger, also retired TPD, and myself. Thank you, Marana PD and Officers Jenkins and Vote. Job well done. That's pretty remarkable. Isn't it? I I chose this letter, Sherry, because I know the person that wrote this. Um, I worked with him when I was with the Tucson Police Department. So for him to say that this was above and beyond, it's above and beyond. Uh, But for us... Uh, it's what we do, and it's, it's that whole public servant mindset that we've, we've set to uh, really establish at Marana PD. So uh, as the chief of police, I get uh, an opportunity to uh, read a lot of these letters, and I'm just so proud of all the members of Marana PD and everyone in law enforcement. Absolutely, and I, I hope that uh, Officer Jenkins and Voight are, are listening so they know that, you know, they're really appreciated I'm going to probably send you an email and ask you for their first names. And Oh, will do. And sometime uh, this coming week, maybe we can meet up. I think that would be awesome. Okay, absolutely. I appreciate you calling in and, and telling us about this. This is having experienced a few creative landings myself. I can appreciate somebody at the other end who can handle it professionally. <laughs> well, listen, thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for your show, Um Law Matter, you know, your Law Matter program, uh, getting the word out to folks. Uh, really appreciate it, Sherry. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, in the studio. We were supposed to have Jennifer in the studio this morning. We were going to talk about threat mitigation, but she's under the weather. Jennifer, I hope you feel better. And Mark Barnes, who is our friendly neighborhood tax man, 
has agreed to come in because there are some new laws coming on the books pretty soon here and he wants everybody to be aware. So, Mark, thank you for not speeding over here. (laughs) (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny the speed that I drove to get to the studio this morning. Okay. Tell, Tell us about it. We need to be educated. Tell us all about the tax things that are going on, like the child tax. What's going on with that? Okay, so... For those of you that live in some type of a shelter um, and aren't aware, there's tons of things that are constantly happening in D.C. And they're constantly pushing out new tax legislation. So the things that applied last year don't apply this year. And this has pretty much been the case for uh, most of the last decade. So on March 11th, 2021, the American Rescue Plan Act was signed into law. And this had lots of changes. Some were retroactive. Uh, We had lots of tax returns in my office that were held up and on hold for quite a while while the IRS made changes and software companies made changes so that we could address those retroactive items. But it included a ton of new things, and a lot of them only applied to the 2021 year, and a couple applied to 21 and 22. And this is the part of the show where I need to say... The difference between getting your taxes done and seeing that person once a year and having a relationship with your tax preparer can literally save you thousands of dollars, especially during the next two years. There's changes right now that need to be addressed and you may need to make some modifications to your withholding or your 401k contributions or any number of things to make sure that these get maximized. So the first item in the bill was the economic impact payment, version 3.0 is how I'm referring to that. And that was the $1,400 per tax payer that you should have already received. The rules for that changed. So dependents now qualified regardless of their age, where the prior two stimulus payments, your older children, your parents, your uncle that lives with you, none of those people qualified as a dependent for this particular stimulus payment. Um, If you did not receive that because of income limitations, now's the time to start taking action. That will be reconciled on your tax return next spring and you can pick up that economic impact payment as a credit on the return if you qualify next year when you file. Um, So that's, that's one important item to consider now to maybe make some adjustments to those paycheck items, health insurance, 401ks, to reduce your taxable income to get to that level. Big items that have changed. Uh, The first one is going to be the child tax credit. So this is typically, this number's changed a lot. It used to be 600, then it was 1,000, then it was 2,000. For the 2021 year, the child tax credit has been increased to $3,000 per child. And this applies to children that are ages 6 to ages 17. The credit has been increased to $3,600 for children that are under age 6. So on December 31st of this year, if they are 5 or younger, that's $3,600 credit for that child. For this year only, the age limit has been increased by one year. So I can't tell you how many thousands of times... uh, since I've been doing taxes, I've heard this question. Why does the child tax credit cut off when kids turn 17? I don't know. That's what Congress decided. Yeah. And they don't always use complete logic and everything. So they've upped that year now from age 17 to age 18. So those children that may have phased out are now going to qualify you for one more year. And from a mathematical perspective... The credit is fully refundable. Um, And I don't want to get into the math too much, but if your income is low and you qualify for the credit because you have earned income and the other qualifying items, the IRS will send you the full $3,000 per child or $3,600 per child as a refund. And in prior years, they would not send you the full amount. Almost worth going on having a baby. I don't. It's, it's kind of late. Um, <laughs> if late. you start today, it's kind of late. Um, we do have a six-month you know, window here before the end of the year. Okay. Um, but these are those <laughs> things where this does have an income phase-out. 
if you are single or married filing separate and your income exceeds 75000 or if you're married filing joint and your income exceeds $150,000, you will start to phase out of those dollar amounts and go to the lower dollar amount, which is the $2,000 that it's been for the last several years. So this is one of those key items that if you get to the end of the year and your income's 155000 or 151000 you phased out of thousands of dollars in potential child tax credit. So now's that time to start thinking about, am I going to be over that income threshold and what do I need to do to get below that now so that when I'm getting my taxes prepared next year, I'm not in panic mode trying to make last second decisions on what I can do. And oftentimes the answer is, what can you do? Nothing, unfortunately. Um, usually the miracle is contribute to an IRA. Well, if you have a workplace retirement plan and your income's that high, IRA contributions are non-deductible, so that won't help you. So this is where the planning starts now. So this is a situation where you really do need to know your clients. You need to know their lifestyle, what they're doing. You can't just walk in with a bag full of receipts and hand it to your tax preparer and say, I'll see you in a couple of days. Absolutely. Um, last weekend, I sent out a video to all my clients. I, I stopped typing up emails because people don't read them. Um, I don't know what their problem is. <laughs> I hope they like me enough to want the information, but... I started making videos and I just send them out a link to the video so they can sit on their couch and in five or 10 minutes, depending on the topic, they can hear me talk about this particular item, the thresholds and what we need to do right now, if it applies to them. And then we'll be doing this for some of the other credits as well, but we're also running reports in our software to find the clients that are at or near these thresholds so that we can start to have a conversation now plan ahead while there's still six months left in the year versus hoping for some kind of a miracle next year when they come in. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's, it's one of those things that sometimes unexpected things do happen. You have a bonus at the end of the year or an inheritance. So there could be any other number of things that are completely outside of your control, but is an inheritance taxable. It depends on the source Okay. Uh, Explain. So when you inherit money, the inheritance itself isn't a taxable event. But you have to look at the money before you received it. Was that money coming as income from a rental property? Well, income from a rental property was taxable before and it would be taxable to you now. Okay. Or was that income in stocks or bonds that were producing dividends or income or interest. Those items were taxable before and they would still be taxable to you now. Usually when you get into things like that, you're not liquidating all of these assets when they transfer from one generation to the next. The, the next generation maintains those items. You're going to continue to keep those stocks so that you receive those dividends or continue to get that rental income or whatever that is. So you could have situations where if you inherit $100,000 in its cash, you're good. But if you really? start inheriting other assets... Like a house? Like a house. You have to deal with the house, um, rental properties, stocks, bonds, a business. Maybe you inherit an ownership in a partnership or a corporation... Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can inherit and each one of those things will have different tax tied to it, depending on what it is. So it, there's always that exception to, Hey, in December, something happened and I inherited this and it messed up the income. Okay. We can't plan for everything, but if you're a wage earner and your paycheck is consistent and you know, based on last year's income, that you're going to be $5,000 over this threshold, that's the person that needs to take action right now and get below some of these thresholds so that you can maximize your child tax credit and your dependent care credit and potentially the premium tax credit. And there's all these credits. You'll hear a good word credit a lot. Um, and again, I'm, I ran a scenario and with the right circumstances, 
a married couple with two kids could see a reduction in their taxes for the 2021 year of $10,000. Wow. That's significant. Like real, real $10,000. And all you need to do is start planning now to make sure that you're, you're hitting those numbers that your income's less than 150,000. If you're married, if you're already well below that, fantastic. Just don't go over it and you'll be fine. But it's those people that are on the bubbles of the thresholds where these things start to phase out. And there's tons of different phase out ranges for different items. Can you deduct rental property losses? That's got one phase out. Can you deduct student loan interest? That's a different phase out. Child tax credit, this phase out and that phase out. So it's there's a lot of stuff to look at and some planning that goes into making sure that all these things are maximized for a specific taxpayer. So if you have an estate and you don't want to pass on tax burdens to your your beneficiaries, can there be a request in there to liquidate everything and then the the proceeds as a cash would go to the heirs and that's okay? You can. The estate would pay the tax and the taxes at the estate level are much higher than they are at the individual level. So that's a bad idea. It's not always (laughs) the best idea. So what... Our job on our side of the table is to take each of these situations and look at it, and especially when you're talking about passing on to the next generation, how do we maximize the assets that are going to be passed on? And so when you get into something like a stock portfolio, I'm not going to worry so much about, did you miss out on the child tax credit if you can inherit $500,000 worth of stock that pays dividends? Okay. And so it becomes a balancing act of what, you know, it, for the person that's sitting in front of me, how do we maximize all of it? Not just the child tax credit, but how do we maximize the the assets and the long-term tax situation on all of this? This Today we're talking about single-year items and how do we address single-year items, but in my office, we're looking at the big picture. I don't want to look at just this year because if we do everything based on this year's tax savings, we may be harming ourselves next year or the year after or when we pass away and people inherit our assets. So it's it's more of a big picture approach to making sure everything is structured, that everything is set up as tax efficient as possible, and that we build assets that we can pass on to the next generation in the most tax efficient way. And it, that may screw up what Congress did for 2021. But who knows what they're going to do for 2022? I mean, this is a juggling act. Yeah. If we look back since like 2010, um, I don't know the exact number, but there's probably been 14 major pieces of tax legislation. So we're seeing several in some years. Last year, we had the Families First Act, we had the CARES Act, and both of those were substantial and made massive changes to the tax law. And most of that stuff applied for a single year. And then at the end of the year, there was another bill, the Appropriations Act, and that took some of the stuff that had already expired and extended it out for one more year. So this is the problem with chasing the dog's tail for just a single year item. I don't know what Congress is gonna do in December of this year. I think they should leave everything alone. (laughs) They're talking about um, a flat tax in Arizona. How do you feel about that? The the problem with a flat tax, and there's been lots of studies by people that do this for a living. We currently operate on a progressive tax system so that people that make less pay less and people that make more pay more. In order to get a number that brings in the same amount of revenue, the upper middle class will pay the same and everybody below that will pay more and everybody above that will pay less. Um, so that's really not a good idea. It, it only helps a very small percentage of the population. It sounds great in theory, but for Arizona, our tax rates start fairly low and they go up to about five and a half percent. Most of my clients are between 1.8 and 2.5 for an effective tax rate. That's what they really pay. 
So if we were to come in and say, okay, to pay the bills, we need to have a flat rate of 3%. That means that almost every single one of my clients would pay more in taxes. And the people that had effective tax rates higher than that, which is like 5% of the population, they would pay less. And the people that were currently paying three would still pay three. So you'd have that small break-even amount. You'd have five or maybe 10% that paid less. And that leaves like 90% that's going to pay more tax to get to a flat rate. Um, Ernst & Young put out a big study a few years ago for the federal side, and they looked at a, a flat rate tax situation. And the tax rate needed to be around 23% to break even. Wow. So I've seen all these articles and I see these people throwing around numbers and they throw out stuff like 7%. Oh, we, it would need to be 7%. 7% won't pay the bills that we have. I mean, we aren't paying the bills anyway. True. Let, let's start there. <laughs> the government's not paying their bills anyway. 7% oh, is no, going to bring in just a fraction of what we're bringing in today. So our deficits would just be much larger. Um, and Ernst & Young came up with a number that was around 23%. Well, I don't even pay 23% tax. I mean, my life is structured so that I pay the least amount possible, but I don't pay 23% in tax. So that would be a significant tax increase for me to go to a flat rate of 23%. And that would be the same for, again, 80, 85% of the population would pay more. Some people would break even and a small percentage would pay less. That's not, yeah. They've tried to do this several times, and I know Ducey's talking about a 2.5% flat tax across the board, and I'm like, how's that going to work out? Not well. It depends on what else they do with it. But theoretically, a flat tax is going to punish a large percentage, and it will be beneficial to a smaller percentage of the population. Just based on the progressive tax rates that we pay now, the way that it's been set up since... 1913 when we first started paying income tax it's always been set up in a progressive manner you're really old i didn't say i paid the tax that year <laughs> okay we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back in a few <laughs> Don't forget your fully charged cell phone. Tell us about the Child Care Act. Is it is that what it's called? Child and Dependent Care Credit. Okay. And for the geeks out there, this can be found in Internal Revenue Code Section 21, G specifically. Uh, if you have children and they have daycare, and this can be either preschool or after school care, once they reach age five, and this phases out at age 13. So from zero to 13, we can have dependent care, child care expenses, and those qualify for a tax credit, assuming everybody in the household either works or is attending school. So you could have one spouse employed, one spouse going to college, and that qualifies you for the credit. If it's a stay-at-home parent, you don't get the credit, sorry. Well, that stinks. Where were all these credits when I was single mom <laughs> raising all these? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So <laughs> historically, this credit applied to the first $3,000 of expenses if you had one child and up to $6,000 if you had more than one child. And then the credit started at 35% of that amount based on your income and decreased until it hit 20%. So prior to this, you always got a credit for 20% of your child care expenses, regardless of your income. For the 2021 year only, that $3,000 has been increased to $8,000 per child. 
and the 6,000 has been increased to 16,000. Now, these numbers are big, but I have clients in New York that pay about $20,000 a year for childcare expenses. Wow. So when we start capping this, like, they okay, you got three kids, it's capped at $6,000. That doesn't really help them out when they're spending twenty. So this gets us a little bit closer. The 35% credit has been increased to 50%. The only drawback to this credit now is historically we had a 20% credit regardless of income. This credit now phases out when your income exceeds $400,000. So we've got quite a window here before this one phases out. But this is an item where if you're in daycare, keep track of those receipts. And when you get your December bill, make sure to pay it in December because it's worth a 50% credit this year. If you don't pay that bill until January, it's going to be back to only worth a 35% credit under the old rules starting next year. So you really do need to know and plan ahead. I would never think of that. If I got a bill at the end of December, pay it right away so that you can take that tax credit. Yeah, when you, when you get into items that are tax related, you really want to be mindful of the timing and especially on something like this. Now, let's be realistic. It's still capped at 16000 So if you've already spent $20,000, it doesn't really matter. Okay. If you pay it in December or not, because you've already reached the limit. But if you have two or three children and you've got $12,000 of expenses already and you receive the December bill, pay it in December. Take advantage of this enhanced credit while it's available rather than pushing this out until next year. Um, the important thing, what I said in the beginning, both spouses, if you're married, need to work or need to be in college. So if we have a self-employed taxpayer out there and their spouse doesn't work, now's the time to fix that. It doesn't say that they have to work all year. They just need to work and they need to receive a W-2 at the end of the year. So this is a situation where we need to talk about putting your spouse on payroll for your own company so that they're receiving wages. Maybe we can work in some other benefits. Um, but this is an item where if somebody shows up next year and the spouse didn't work, you lost this credit, and this credit could be worth $8,000. That's pretty significant. Um, if you're a single taxpayer, you just have to be working or in full-time college. So, What if you it, work from home? Can you work from home and get this credit? You have to have earned income. Oh. I, it doesn't matter to me where you work. Okay. You have to have earned income. So you either have to have a job where you're getting a paycheck, Social Security and Medicare withheld, or you have to be self-employed and subject to self-employment tax. So either way, you can take advantage yep. of this credit. You can be a truck driver working out of a truck. You can be working from home in any form or fashion. You can go to the office, work in the grocery store. It doesn't really make any difference. As long as you have earned income, you'll qualify for this credit. And if you have a spouse, that spouse needs to either work or you in college. Or find another spouse. Or find another spouse. Yeah. But that's a different show. <laughs> I have to wait for the divorce attorney to come on for that one. Yeah, I don't want to go there. So, okay, so what else? What about the sick leave? Sick leave. So I mentioned the Families First and the CARES Act that came out last year. These were both coronavirus-related credits that came out to help people receive paychecks and in the beginning, we had the PPP loans that came out and these two credits. What is a PPP loan? Paycheck Protection Program Loan. Okay, so, so that would go to an employer? That would go to the employer. So from the government's perspective, while they did create a program to enhance unemployment, they didn't want everybody going on unemployment. So... You had the situation where you could apply for this Paycheck Protection Program loan. Your employer would receive free money from the government, and in exchange, they just needed to continue to pay people. It kept them paid. They didn't have to worry about their bills, and it kept them off unemployment. At the same time, they also created these two tax credits. One was for self-employed individuals, and one was for employees. This It had some 
strings attached to it. You needed to be quarantined under doctor's orders. You needed to have tested positive for COVID-19. You needed to be missing work because your child had tested positive or was quarantined. Uh, So you had six items to qualify for sick leave for yourself. And then basically your employer would pay you for that time off. The government mandated up to 80 hours of pay per employee. And then in exchange, your employer received basically a hundred percent tax credit for the amount that they paid you. Now for the clients that we run payroll for, I believe a hundred percent took some form of credit off of this. So you got sick, you missed two weeks work, you qualified under one of the provisions. I paid you whatever, 500 or $1,000 to be off for those two weeks. I, in exchange, would have gotten a 500 or $1,000 tax credit. So as the employer, it cost me nothing. That's pretty remarkable. Keeps the employees paid. They don't have to worry about their bills. Keeps them off unemployment. Like the, the whole process was set up to not have everybody go to unemployment because they already knew it was going to be bad and spike up. Now, you hit, uh, the coronavirus had to be... A part of your sick leave? Part of your sick leave. So you had the Paycheck Protection Program, which was just to pay people with no strings attached. You had this sick leave credit, but it had to be coronavirus related. And then there was the family leave. And the family leave was similar, but it was for other reasons. So this is the one where we would see that parent that had to miss work because their child's school was closed. There was a lot of that. Or their daycare (laughs) provider was closed. So they had nowhere to send their child, so they had to stay home for work, from work to take care of their children. And so that was a different credit. And again, we've seen people take advantage of this. This has gone through three variations in the last year, just to give you an idea of how busy Congress is. <laughs> we screwing had, up our lives. Yeah, we had the first version of it that ran through December 31st. And then the Appropriations Act in December extended that out until March 31st, but it didn't add any additional time. You still had your 80 hours of sick pay that were available. You just extended that period out. And then the American Rescue Plan Act started it fresh on April 1st, and this one runs through September 30th. So if you were sick last year or quarantined last year and received pay, you can do it all over again now. Shortly after the bill was passed, they added a provision for people that were missing days of work after being vaccinated. And so when that came out and I sent that out to my payroll clients, my email just blew up. Oh yeah, (laughs) everybody got the vaccination and they stayed home for the next day or they stayed home for two days. Did you get vaccinated? Yes. Did you have a reaction? I had a slight one on the second. Um, I did miss one day of work, but I'm self-employed and I work when I feel like it anyway. So <laughs> I just stayed home that day. I was running a slight fever and I didn't feel fantastic, um, but it was just 24 hours and then I was back in business. Oh. Um, but for all my employers that had employees getting the vaccination and missing work, I needed for them to make sure they kept track of this and report that back with hours so that we can put that down and get them the tax credit for it. And I had clients, like I have larger employers that may have had 12 or 15 people miss a day or two of work and it adds up to thousands of dollars. Sure it does. And when you're the employer and you've been struggling for the last year, these are fantastic credits that can help you because we've so taken So what kind of right documentation now. do they need? I mean, it, you know, I had a reaction to the vaccine too and... You know, it was like a couple of days. I was down for the count. What kind of documentation do you need? Yeah. There's not really an answer to that. Um, It's This is the government throwing out a bone, and some people are taking advantage of it. 
And I think that the people that got lost are the do-it-yourselfers, the people that don't want to pay for professional help, the people that are trying to run their own payroll and trying to run a business and trying to deal with being shut down or having reduced customers. And they didn't have the time to spend reading through all this legislation. And I spent a large part of my life last year reading legislation, writing articles, getting information out to my clients, talking to them one-on-one -on, -one on the phone to how these applied to their situation. And so I think there's this huge disconnect between those two. But otherwise, did you get a vaccine? Yes, we have documentation because you'll have your vaccination card. They'll have the date. Right. And the next two days you called in sick to work. Fair enough. Okay. You know, this isn't something I don't see the government knocking on your down. door. They're not going to come chase you down because somebody got Brian. a vaccination and you took a day or two off of work. <laughs> um, we did have a new client that came in this year who had nothing, no credits taken last year. And we found them $24,000 in credits that we applied for earlier this year. Um, we actually had three that we were able to apply for credits and they've all received money back. That's pretty... So it's, it's one of those things that there's a lot of money on the table and I believe that there is a huge disconnect between the people working with professionals and the people trying to do it themselves. And people, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And that's why we're talking to you today. There's all kinds of things out there. That's a lot of <laughs> money left on the table. And that's it. If you're a business owner and the government's throwing out money to try to help you so that when this is over and settled, that you're still a business owner and you're still in business and you're not trying to take advantage of that, you're crazy. Oh. Like you're just crazy. We, there's been so much money on the table in the last year that we've gotten into clients' hands, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, that is definitely going to be the difference between them being in business in 22 and out of business in 2022. So these that you're talking about, there's um, time limits, there's stipulations that, you know, you can only do this from this date to this date type thing. Yes. So on the, on the, the sick leave credit and the family leave credit, again, we had a, um, I believe it started April 1st of last year, originally ran through December 31st. The Appropriations Act in December extended that out to March 31st of 2021. And then the American Rescue Plan restarted it from April 1st through September 30th. So any employee that's sick, quarantined, gets coronavirus, takes days off because of the vaccination, these people all qualify to be paid up to 80 hours during that time frame and the employer is eligible to receive a tax credit for the amounts paid out. It just has to work its way through the system. The employer needs to know. The employee needs to get paid. The employer needs to make sure that the payroll processor is aware that there's a week or two days or one day or, you know, I had one person that sent over four hours. My employee got the vaccination. They left at one o'clock. They took the rest of the day off, came back to work the next day. Super. They took the day off to get a vaccination. They got four hours. The employer got a credit for four hours. Sure, why not? That's all they took. That's what they got. It's still four hours of credit. Somebody makes $25 an hour. The employer got a $100 credit for those four hours. So it's worth it's worth keeping track. Yeah. Brian's not going to show up at your door with a thermometer in hand? <laughs> I, I'm going to say no. <laughs> but I'm going to put an asterisk after that that you just never know who's going to show up at your door. But For the listeners who don't know, Special Agent Brian Watson is on the show regularly and, you know, he's uh, works with the IRS. <laughs> so I would imagine Brian has better, more important things to do than run around checking people's temperatures <laughs> for tax credits. But for hey, tax credits. You never know. <laughs> Um, there are some limits on these credits, obviously, because it's the government. Um, for the paid sick leave, the maximum rate is $511 a day. So if you make a million dollars a year, you're limited to $511 a day. 
And then for the other credit where the parent is missing work because they're taking care of a child because the school is closed or the dependent or the daycare is closed, that's a maximum daily rate of $200. So there are a few thresholds in there and a few limitations, but the $511 a day covers the vast majority of the population. Yeah, pretty much. I'm still wondering where all these credits were when I was, you know, taking care of my mom and I had a son and, you know, private school, all that stuff. Nada. So. Every time they simplify the tax code, they're just guaranteeing my employment. There you go. Because they're not making anything simple. They're just making it more and more complicated. And who has the time to sit there and read it? And even if you read it, do you get it? (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I just. It's crazy. It's when you're reading through it, the law is usually taking some paragraph or subparagraph that's in the law and modifying it. So in order to actually read a lot of it effectively, you have to refer back. Yeah, you have to pull up the what I do is I pull up the Internal Revenue Code, I will copy the section and put it into Word, and then I go to the law and I copy the modified sections and then I paste them in over the law. So that way I can read the law from top to bottom with all of the new changes in it. But even then, uh, I was reading one the other day and it there was at least four or five references to different sections. Yeah. If you're doing this, it has to qualify under this section. Okay, well then you have to go to that section and read it. So it's, it is complicated. It does take a long time. Um, sometimes you do have to read it two or three or four times as a professional, like I read through this stuff all the time and you still have to read through it multiple times before it starts to sink in. And then if I am trying to discuss this with my clients, then I have to make it super user friendly so yeah, that they have some idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah, Cause not everybody gets the lingo. And then I'm also writing classes. And if I'm writing a class, I'm speaking directly to other tax professionals. And so then it's, it's at a different level of writing than it would be for my clients because I need the tax professionals to understand it from the legal perspective where I need my client to understand it from a client perspective. So it's, it has definitely kept me busy in the last uh, 18 months. Well, good. You're not out stealing hubcaps. You're staying busy. I know my hubcap collection is really dwindling. Dwindling. (laughs) (laughs) So what else do we need to know? We we've only like got 10 minutes in the show. So I know some. you can go off on a lot of tax stuff. What else do we need to know for this year? Uh, I think the other really big important item is going to be the premium tax credit. What's that? This all stems from the Affordable Care Act that was signed into law in 2010, implemented first out in 2013. If you buy your health insurance through the marketplace, then you potentially qualify for a subsidy. And again, they've completely changed the rules on how this works. It's very income-driven. Basically, you used to have a situation where if your income was low, you qualified for a subsidy that covered, oh, where's the number? About 80% of what your healthcare premiums would cost you. That number now is 0%. Your premiums can't exceed 0% of your income if you're below 175% of the federal poverty level. Okay, wait a minute. Back up. I didn't understand a (laughs) word you just said. (laughs) The government gives you free health care if your income is low, and they give you a subsidy as your income increases until they cut you off and you, you have to pay for your own insurance. Okay. The changes now are where before your premiums couldn't exceed 2%, 2.06% of your income. So think about how much you make, multiply that by 2%. Your healthcare couldn't cost more than that. Okay. If it did, the government covered the dis- the difference. For the 2021 and 2022 year, if you're at a lower income level and you receive marketplace place health insurance, your premiums cannot exceed 0% of your income. Now, I hope we're all good enough at math to know if you take a number and you multiply it by zero, it's zero. 
So if you got a family of four and you make fifty thousand dollars, you're going to qualify, and your health care can't exceed zero percent. The government will subsidize everything above zero percent. Okay, when you say subsidize, are they going to pay for it in total, or are they going to pay a portion? They pay whatever percentage needs to be covered. Okay. So for a person that your premiums can't exceed 0%, they're paying all of it. Okay. So you have to shop through the marketplace. You're going to get a 1095A at the end of the year. 1095A is going to show what your premiums cost. They're going to show the subsidy that you received, and it gets reconciled on your tax return to make sure that you qualified for the subsidies that you got. So you can't just call the marketplace and say, yeah, I make $30,000 and get a full subsidy. Next year when your tax return is filed, if you made $150,000, you'll have to pay back the subsidy because the amount the government would cover at that level is completely different than the amount that they would cover. What is Um, this marketplace? What are you talking about? The marketplace is, it's an exchange where you go and buy insurance. Okay. Um, Healthcare. healthcare Healthcare.gov should be the, I, I don't sell health insurance, so I think it's healthcare.gov. <laughs> and you're buying, uh, all you're doing is you're buying the same exact health insurance plan that you would buy if you contacted the insurer directly, but you're buying it through the marketplace, which allows for the government to be involved and offer you a subsidy. Okay. So you could have a, the same exact plan with Blue Cross, Blue Shield individually or through the marketplace or United Healthcare by buying it. Yeah. By buying it through the the marketplace, you're gonna qualify or potentially qualify yourself for a subsidy on your health insurance. It's all income driven. It depends on the number of people in your household. It depends on how far above the poverty level you are. Historically if you were below 400% of the federal poverty level, you qualified for some subsidy, even if that was $5 a month. Now, there's no 400% cap. The only item that's in there is health insurance cannot exceed 8% of your income, regardless of how much you make. Now, obviously, this phases out at some point. So how do they get to the marketplace again? I believe it's healthcare.gov or call your local health insurance broker. Okay. Your local health insurance broker can help guide you through the variety of plans, what's available, and make sure that you're getting the, the plan that's best for your family. I never encourage people to buy insurance from the internet. No, unless absolutely you're, not. <laughs> unless you're a healthcare expert, you won't be getting the best plan for you and your family. So use a local broker. They'll be able to walk you through this. There if you is, need a broker, I know a broker. I know a broker as well. Like so, we, we all know good brokers. Um, there's a new open enrollment period that expires on August 15th. So if you find yourself in a situation where you need to change, you want to change, you want to take advantage of this, there's a new open enrollment period until August 15th of 2021. So you could change insurance now, get on a marketplace plan, qualify for a subsidy for the last couple months of the year, and keep that plan through 2022 and qualify for a subsidy then. And again, it's all income driven. I got a two hour class in front of me and I spend at least 45 minutes talking about this topic and the math. So we're not going to get into that, but. Well, how can people get into your, your classes? These classes are specifically written for tax professionals. Um, so if you wanted to hear me talk for two hours about taxes <laughs> at a higher level, um, my company is called Potential CPE and you can go to potentialcpe.com and take classes. Um, two hour class would be $49. It's going to be full of great information, but I think for the the average person that does not do taxes for a living, they're probably going to make it through the introduction <laughs> and say this is terrible and shut it off. So <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I'm again I'm, in the classes. I'm talking to tax professionals, which is a completely different approach from sure. what I'm talking to my clients. My clients were were doing something way different. We hired you because we don't want to be a professional. Exactly. <laughs> Other things to do. <laughs> 
Um, so do you teach classes to, you know, people like me, blonde, you know? <laughs> we're we're actually putting out a whole series of videos this summer um, that are directed towards the public. Uh, we pushed out one last week for the child tax credit specifically. We're going to be talking about budgets, saving, investing, coming up in a next one. We're going to have one that discusses rental properties, how to approach rental properties, how to look at your return on investment. We're going to be talking about some other things um, that cover like more in-depth on retirement savings plans, IRAs, 401ks, simple plans, what the difference of the between these plans is, how to maximize your retirement savings. We're going to be talking about some tax-efficient savings strategies so that you're paying the least amount of taxes in the future. Eventually, when you pass away and your heirs inherit this, they're going to pay the least amount of taxes. And none of these things are a, a quick fix. Like if you yeah. wanted to start structuring your life in a the most tax efficient way, um, the last person that I talked to, I said, if you give me 10 years, yeah, we need to completely rearrange your life and we need to completely redo everything that you're doing. And we need probably 10 years to flip all of this over and restructure everything and then going forward it's going to work fantastic but it's not a there's no silver bullet there's no magic button and when you're walking in getting your taxes done on april 14th <laughs> there's just very little that can be done to fix or undo what's already been done yeah it's a really it's a long-term approach at, at savings and um, but those videos will be available on my youtube channel which is going to be Copper Canyon Tax. And otherwise, you can call our office, give us your telephone number, your full name, and your date of birth, and we'll put you into our texting system, and then you'll get a text message every time a new video is available. Or new law changes? Uh, that's I try a lot not, of text yeah, messages. Yeah, that's a lot of text messages. <laughs> um, we try to keep the text messages down to when new videos are coming out, uh, pre-tax season important stuff like i released a video before tax season to let everybody know what to expect this year um, when tax season started we were still under lockdown from coronavirus so just kind of getting an idea of what the office will look like and how we're going to operate this year to make sure everything's done efficiently okay how do they get in touch with you our office telephone number is 344-4149 almost everything you would need to know can be found on our website, coppercanyontax.com. And if you're, you know, carrying a piece of pecan pie and you want to stop by the office, uh, we're located at 4802 <laughs> East Broadway Boulevard. So you must be hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. Pecan pie is my favorite. Um, we're not in the office every day, though. So yeah, I, you want to call ahead. It's not a great idea just to stop by this time of year. We're only in the office two days this week. Okay, I want to thank you for stepping in. Jennifer, I hope you're feeling better. And I want to thank uh, the Miranda Police Chief Nunez for telling us about his uh, amazing officers, Jenkins and Voigt. And we'll be getting in touch with everybody shortly. Until next week, shop local, stay safe. Thanks, Mark. Thanks.